we are a data informed business. We are not a data driven business. We believe that product decisions are extremely strategic and closer to art than science. Hello, and welcome to the PyBytes podcast, where we talk about Python, career, and mindset. We're your hosts. I'm Julian Sequeira. And I am Bob Beldebos. If you're looking to improve your Python, your career, and learn the mindset for success, this is the podcast for you. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the PyBytes podcast, episode 133. This week, Robin, one of our coaches, takes over, and he has Will Raphaelson on the show, and he's a principal product manager at Prefect. Um, they talk about his use of Python, Prefect, as a workflow orchestrator, how it works, how it handles failures, and they go, yeah, pretty much into nitty-gritty, very interesting. But they also talk about open source and business and how to combine the two and tips for starting an open source business. Uh, they also touch upon Marvin AI um, and its relation to Prefect and how it's a nice way to start with Python. And of course, as always on our podcast, they share wins and books. Um, I really enjoyed this uh, uh, conversation. Uh, it gave me a lot of insight and inspiration. Hope it does so for you as well. And now without further ado, I'm handing it over to Robin and Will. Enjoy. Hey, Will. Nice to meet you again. Hey, Robin. Yeah, great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Good, good. Uh, yeah, how are things uh, going? How have it been? And uh, were there uh, any wins in the last weeks that you could celebrate? Yeah, things have been going good. Um, it, you know, my answer to wins is actually related to how things have been going in the last week. Uh, you know, it would be very easy. It, to like talk about like a revenue or a product win, but I actually want to talk about kind of a squishier win, if that's okay. Uh, and yeah. that's a win related to like people and process. Um, you know, I don't really like talking or thinking about process in particular. Uh, it tends to feel like it's all just opportunity cost. Like let's just ship code, let's ship features. Right. Um, but I do feel like in the past few weeks, we've hit this really nice stride with our people and our process. Like we've got three new fantastic engineers, uh, shouts out to those folks. And like our size is just one where we've got a very lightweight process where, you know, we do these six week pushes where we have no stable teams, right? You, you come together on what we call like a raft, three or four people, you bang out your feature and you have two weeks to cool down. That might be backlog mm. work. It might be, um, you know, it might be kind of polish on the feature that you just shipped and, you know, process working is always something that is kind of a fleeting point in time, right? You you figure out there are some breakdowns, a process breakdown, and you figure out you need to add process. And so you over-index and all of a sudden things feel heavyweight. Mm -hmm. But then your team grows and for a moment it feels perfect. And so I feel like right now I'm in this perfect moment in terms of like the size, the people, and the process we have in place. And so that's my my win for today. Nice. Yeah, that's something I can really feel. I mean, related also having worked in startup environment for a while, and it's always you're always trying to surf on one wave uh, as long as it's good. And then you know that at some point uh, you need to uh, change it or, or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah also uh, I had a couple of uh, recent wins, I would say. Um, one of them being that I finished a book actually I read, um, which nice. fueled some more inspiration. And uh, like a couple of weeks ago, I also met uh, Sebastian Ramirez and others on a uh, on the first fast API meetup in Berlin. So that was a quite big win, actually. 
And yeah, uh, was yeah. Uh, was his mustache as awesome in person as it looks online? <laughs> <laughs> Even more impressive, I guess. Yes. Even more uh, impressive. That's great. <laughs> I've, I haven't uh, run into him in person yet, but uh, we we pass each other on LinkedIn, obviously, and we're we're huge users of, of Fast API, uh, which I'll, I'll actually mention in a little while here. Nice, nice. Yeah, so um, I can just uh, recommend for, for anyone who is listening as well, uh, go to these meetups. I know, I mean, we're all happy working remotely from home and so on, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, coding is good. We want to be efficient and productive. But uh, for me, it really significantly boosted the um, inspiration, motivation and so on. It was already good before, but uh, it's just nice to meet kind humans and, and builders. With that being said, um, so you're the head of prefect, uh, uh, head of product in prefect right now. Um, do you leverage Python actually, or like in your function as a head of product, uh, or are you very far away from Python at this point? Yeah, no, I, I do leverage Python, and I think my my dominant use of Python is is maybe in some level not that relatable to folks. My relationship to Python or my primary use case right now is is maybe not the most relatable, but frankly, like. I'm obsessed with our product quality and our product is a Python product. And so there's nothing that goes out the door that I don't use personally. And, you know, I try not to throw surprises, but it, I I am one for kind of late stage feedback. It's, you know, it's the earliest time to give feedback that's not hard to change, uh, right? Is before something goes out, goes out the door. And so I'm constantly using Prefect to kind of test uh, new features and kind of ensure that the quality is there. And then aside from that, I use I use product as my sorry I use Python as my kind of Swiss Army knife, right? Like I need to make a SQL query and then join that, and I, I only know how to train a model with this particular library because I'm kind of a bad engineer, and so I use Python there, right? Um, I also do a lot of administrative work in Python for the purpose of having like reproducibility, both mm -hmm. in the form of uh, you know, maybe product or business analytics, but also like, again, in my, in my role, you know, product is a lot of different things, but in my role is kind of like the plow at the front of the train. I'm trying to remove obstacles for, for developers and designers and our execution teams. Um, which means I, I focus a lot on releases and making releases go smooth, which often involves like hitting our APIs to change account features or things like that. And more important than it being, you know, easier to use Python it's the fact that there's an artifact of what I did so that if I mess up, it's checked. It might not even be checked in, honestly. Like there's no real natural repo for me to put this like terrible script I use that changed something for 3000 accounts in our in our company. But like it will be on my computer and someone can read the lines if there's any errors. Um, yeah, I communicate with a lot of RESTful APIs. I'm using Python for that. You know, I'm unique to me, I think, is that like Python is actually the only language I've ever seriously programmed in. As someone mm -hmm. who was never going to be a software engineer, every time someone was like, hey, Rust is so cool or JavaScript is so cool, this is going to help you in your next job. I was like, it's actually not. Python <laughs> has what I need. Uh, obviously, yeah, when I need yeah, to do yeah. some some UI stuff or some lower level stuff, I might uh, I might go out. But the only thing I'm like really confident in is Python. So if I could use Python for it, I use Python for it. Yeah, and of course, PyWords is the perfect podcast to say something like this, right? <laughs> because we are also uh, mostly uh, just focusing on Python because you can do a lot of things with Python. Infrastructure as code with Pulumi, um, data orchestration with Prefect, for example. So you can really go a long way until you need something else than Python. Um, and maybe even you can prototype, ideate MVP with Python. And then when you say, now I got some funding, I need, I, I need to make it pretty and so on, then you can always put some some more JavaScript on top, or if you need to, it to get faster, you can add some Rust uh, under the hood or also, and you can maybe better buy some engineers that really know their work. 
And we've made like leaps and bounds in the, the front end frameworks as well in the past year. Um, they're not called Pinecone anymore. I think they're called Reflex now. Like that is such a cool project. I talked to them a few months ago and, you know, there's work to be done and it's a it's a transpiler under the hood. We're not completely aborting JavaScript and HTML, uh, but it is way better than the alternatives. Uh, and, and that was a long time coming. I, I love that team. Nice, nice. Yeah, so um, we have talked already a little bit about Prefect, but some uh, here may not yet know Prefect. So question being, what is Prefect actually? Yeah, for sure. So Prefect is a, is an enterprise workflow orchestrator for those that use Python. And, you know, if you don't know what Prefect is, you might also not know what an orchestrator is. And so I'm actually, I'm, I'm almost better at evangelizing the use of orchestrators than I am evangelizing the use of Prefect. And how I talk about it is like, For, for data workloads, whether they're ETL or analytics, machine learning, um, you know, the path to production is one where, you know, there be, there be dragons, there, there be traps. Uh, you, like, I, I tell this story where, like, you know, when I was working as a data practitioner, data engineer, data analyst, right, like, I would do something useful, and I would show my boss, and my boss would punish me by saying, this is good, you should put it in production. And I'm like, mm. oh, no, now I have to schedule it, create monitoring, logging, observability. I have to make sure I don't kill the box. I have to make sure it's version controlled, maybe Dockerize it. All of these things that are useful and cool, and I might like nerd out on them, but they're fundamentally not adding value to my business. What added value to the business was that first little thing that I did. And so the overarching philosophy of Prefect is that with the path to production being oftentimes kind of boilerplate or undifferentiated work, We can do 80% of that for you, right? We'll store credentials for you. We'll make sure you can schedule it. We'll make sure that it's observable. We ingest logs. We can search over them. It's all these little things that would that would take, you know, honestly, hundreds mm -hmm. of hours in both upfront mm -hmm. costs and carrying costs. Uh, so that's kind of the prefect philosophy. What the hook is, if you're a, a PyBytes listener and you really don't care about my product philosophy, it's an easier way to schedule stuff and collaborate on it. Uh, no more cron, no more SSHing into boxes unless you really want to. Um, it's just it's a it's a it's an enterprise scheduler. Um, and I say enterprise, not that you have to be uh, you know an S and P 500 company to use it, but just that it is rock solid. Uh, the the <laughs> fundamental thing that we are is reliable because what we're doing is we're supervising processes. We are orchestrating complex stuff. If it works 99% of the time, it's not it's not useful. It has to work 100% of the time. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's the golden path to production, as I try to put it. Nice, yeah. And actually, I also uh, really liked the prefect when I started looking into the different options that there were back in the days. So um, we considered using Airflow, for example, the other uh, big player, or different other terms, terms of or kinds of orchestrators. And uh, what I really liked about prefect was it felt directly really Pythonic to me. So. Um, you just add a decorator basically and you get a flow or a task uh, on top of a function that you defined before and that's it almost <laughs> so yeah. it couldn't be much easier than that and uh, i think especially nowadays there are a couple of new um, things that uh, have evolved over the time how you can use prefect that make it even more um, yeah nice to use uh, i must say i didn't uh, work so much with any other orchestrators so i have a little bit of a skewed opinion here maybe But um, that's also speaks for itself, right? I use Prefect uh, coming out of the Python realm, uh, wanting to use something that is directly available in Python. It was good enough, so I didn't need to look further necessarily. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. Uh, that's uh, maybe also a nice way to, to approach it, let's say. If you're coming from the Python world, there are a lot of tools that you can just use in Python that are good enough. 
And then maybe don't be too, too dogmatic about it. Maybe there are other tools that are even better that you can use when you scale the team further. But uh, as you mentioned with Prefect, I guess you can even go towards that space because it can grow with you. For example, I have yeah, now a, a small idea like for a startup or like an app idea running with Prefect. And um, yeah, it's doing its job. It's uh, consistent, gives the Slack notifications. Um, I can observe uh, how the things are going. Sometimes something is breaking. Maybe OpenAI API is not stable again another time. <laughs> and then uh, you can just easily re-trigger a task and so on. Um, yeah, but uh, maybe from your perspective, how has uh, Prefect evolved over time? So uh, I guess you have been there also for quite a while now. Um, how has it been from, from your perspective? Yeah, it's definitely, you know, no one would accuse us of uh, evolving too slowly. Uh, as you know, there's there's new things and there's changes a lot. And we uh, we do our best to ensure everything is kind of backwards compatible. Uh, you know, we, we have to. Uh, but we we invent a lot. Like we kind of, we cast a wide net and then the things that are landing are the things that we invest in further. Um, and it's funny, you know, it, I guess in some senses, it feels like I've been here a while. It's been like a bit over a year and a half. Uh yeah, I guess startups kind of feel like dog years. Um, and before I joined, I joined right when Prefect 2 came out. Uh, Prefect mm -hmm. 1 was an entirely different code base. And so there were some changes. There were like architectural and fundamental system design changes to Prefect. But from a user experience perspective, the big change from 1 to 2 was this idea of dynamic workflows. Mm -hmm. And so what we mean by that, right, is like, the, the the dominant uh, orchestrator paradigm for the entirety of this, the existence of orchestrators was focused on DAX, directed acyclic graphs. And the yeah. fact was like, or, or, or the reality of the user experience was if it can fit in a DAG, you can run it, you can observe it, you can orchestrate it. And that works for a lot of cases, except interestingly, for some of our favorite things to use in Python, which are things like, if statements, so control flow, or for loops. And the reason that ifs and loops, uh, you can't pre-hock, like, or before you uh, you execute, fit those into DAGs, is that the structure of the graph is not known until the code runs. So take a for loop, for example. If I say, so in the DAG world, if I say I've got uh, three environments, dev, staging, and prod, and I want to do something for each of them, it will be a graph with three nodes here, and then it will have the, the edges to the other nodes after that. But if I very simply just want to call an API that says, hey, what are the environments? And one day there's dev two for some Skunk Works project that somebody did, and you have four, then the DAG, you cannot fit that into a DAG uh, beforehand because now there's four and you didn't know that until you ran it. So how would I design a graph for something for, for an indeterminate number of, of environments. And so we said, let's just figure out how to make that not matter. You can use if statements, you can use for loops, and we will discover the graph as it runs. Now that means mm -hmm. the graph may be non-deterministic, that has downstream effects, that's okay. As long as we can show people what that looks like and give them tools to automatically or otherwise react to the dynamic nature of those graphs, uh, that's okay. And so today, right, people ask for features from Prefect 1 that were directly related to like, dodging the idea of dynamism. It was like, oh, well, we have this map task thing. How do we do that now? And it's like, you don't have to use a prefect feature for that. You can just mm -hmm. use a for loop <laughs> or you can just <laughs> use a while or you can just use an if statement. And so uh, breaking the DAG, as we call it, was, was a huge change. Mm -hmm. uh, just a, a, a few others. I won't kind of waste your time evangelizing prefects changes, but like 
I think one thing that, especially after I I came here, like me and the rest of the the kind of tech leadership, we realized that orchestrators, so orchestrators are obviously valuable for, for scheduling and alerting and things like that. Orchestrators are really uniquely positioned vis-a-vis observability. Uh, there's a lot of observability tooling and a lot of observability tweets happening right now. You know, data observability, data lineage, data catalogs, uh, observability of things like lower level compute metrics, Prometheus, mm-hmm. Datadog, stuff like that. Uh, but Prefect watches, or sorry, an orchestrator just watches everything in motion. And so we have all of this metadata about not just what the column was and what it is now, or not just how much CPU was used, but like what processes were running, what functions were running, things that machine learning engineers and Python people, I think, resonate with more than data columns and, and, and compute uh, utilization. And so we focused really hard on making observability a first-class citizen in, in Prefect, uh, introducing the idea of events as a telemetry, telemetry type. So not just logs, but you can see events, you can react to them, you can look at a stream of events and what was producing them. Uh, and probably most useful is like, you see things and you do things, you do things and you see things. And so once you have this observability data coming in, you can tailor your orchestration business logic to react to those things. Or in some cases, react to the absence of things. So like you said, the OpenAI API might be down or whatever. If you uh, subscribe to their status page and you know an incident is opened and it's not closed in five minutes, uh, well, then maybe you need an alert and you need to pause some expensive workflows. And so this idea of like observability, real-time, event-driven stuff, that is a new frontier for... It's not that new. We've been doing it for about a year now, but that was a new frontier for us. And uh, some very, very smart and ambitious colleagues and I have been able to, uh, to I think, realize an observability vision for an orchestrator that's relatively novel. Um, and if it's a good idea, it won't be novel for long, but I think it is still novel right now. Yeah. So it's also interesting to have the interview now and then maybe again in a year and see <laughs> where things have evolved in, in that time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, also maybe for uh, listeners to visualize it a little bit, uh, maybe we can give a simple example of how you could combine, let's say, an event that triggers a pipeline, uh, maybe even spinning up some infrastructure or so. Uh, what happens next? Like what can happen wrong and so on? And uh, how would all this look like? Like a, a typical or not so typical, whatever, a lifetime of, a, of an orchestrated um, flow and prefect. Yeah, for sure. So first, just to define the orchestrated flow, what you've done, right, is so you, you've got this script that I that I made and I showed it to my boss and my boss said, you know, put it in production. And I'm like, damn. But in the prefect world, everything is actually great because all I had to do was add uh, an import statement at the top from prefect import flow and task. And then I've decorated my main function uh, with a flow decorator and then any tasks that that main function calls. If I want to, I've decorated with a task decorator. The more you decorate, the more observability you get. But if you want to run code outside of prefect tasks and flows, that's that's fine as well. And then we've set up kind of an automation trigger, or sorry, a, a deployment trigger. We've uh, deployed our flow by kind of making the prefect server cloud or or open source uh, aware of the, the runtime metadata that is required to run that code. And we've said, when you see this event, then run this flow. That's just the, the simple case. And so what happens is uh, an event comes in and we are at all times constantly evaluating incoming events uh, for their adherence to criteria that people have set. So Mm -hmm. one common way for people to do event-driven flows is like we have native webhooks. And so I have just created something, let's say, where when this webhook pings, no matter what, run this flow. 
And so we're constantly evaluating uh, all of the different webhooks, all of the different events that folks can send via APIs or that we're producing. We evaluate it. We say this matches this criteria. It's what we call like a trigger criteria. And this automation system takes the event, it uh, matches it to the trigger criteria, and then it says, okay, next step, what are the actions that are associated with this trigger? And it runs this flow. And so running the flow really depends, right? We try to be uh, very kind of non-discriminatory across infrastructure setups. Uh, we like being able to interface elegantly with uh, exogenous infrastructure setups is like very important to our product philosophy. And so, you know, you said maybe spin up some infrastructure. Um, maybe you have specified in this deployment where we provide that runtime data that uh, you want to spin this up on your Dask cluster. So the Dask cluster has to like spin up the Dask job and the Dask internals are like totally opaque to me. Actually, you know what? Let's use the Kubernetes example because I actually know about it. So you've got a yeah. Kubernetes, you've got a Kubernetes process uh, that's communicating with the prefect server. Uh, you have specified that you want this flow to run as a Kubernetes job and you have the job specification uh, kind of specified in, in various places. You can do it on a flow, you can do it on deployment, you can have defaults within your environment. Uh, but let's say you just want to like spin up a pod, you want to pull a particular image, and you want to ensure that the job has a timeout of 3,600 seconds, five minutes, and uh, you know it'll retry five times. Prefect knows how to communicate with Kubernetes to spin up that pod with the appropriate job specification, execute the code, and then exit. But more importantly, right, it's like what happens if it fails? Because when everything, if everything always went well in terms of execution, remote or otherwise, like you probably wouldn't actually need a prefect. You could just use cron because cron is rock solid at scheduling work as long as it goes well. Uh, through the life cycle of that Kubernetes pod, we're going to be emitting and like harvesting events from the Kubernetes cluster. And so one mm -hmm. use case that I really like here and maybe why I steered us towards the K-8s example is uh, like if you're... If something goes wrong in a Kubernetes job and you don't know how to exec into a pod or that pod is gone, it's been evicted, uh, Python failures are not going to help you. The logs will just stop coming and you'll just see nothing. But because we can mm -hmm. harvest during the life cycle of this flow run, um, we're harvesting events. And so we would actually redirect the Kubernetes event stream to the prefect event feed or, or event stream. And so you'd be able to see, right? You, you wouldn't even see that it failed. It would just crash because we stopped communicating with that pod. You would see crashed. The logs wouldn't help you at all, but the events there, we, we would have uh, kind of transcribed those events from Kubernetes and you would see that the pod was evicted. And so from a from a higher perspective, I guess the, the diagram here is kind of like prefect decides when things should run. And then it spins up ad hoc any of that infrastructure and it monitors it to completion. And then mm -hmm. if that fails, right, like we can restart the cycle. Failures are just another event and events can trigger mm -hmm. things. You can see events. So maybe something fails and you get an alert. Maybe something fails and you, you know, uh, reapply your Kubernetes manifest to ensure that it's pulling latest, uh, the latest changes. Uh, you know, it's, it's a sticky product and that once you do something and you understand the primitives, you kind of continue wanting to do more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. So uh, I hope that gives some uh, overview. Otherwise, I mean, we will also link in the show notes the links to Prefect, right, with some simple examples and so on. And um, then you can actually just try it out as a listener uh, on your own. Super simple uh, to start. And then I guess the sky is the limit, kind of. <laughs> you also uh, just mentioned uh, open source. So um, there's a paid solution and an open source solution, right? And we often get asked uh, also something that was discussed on the FastAPI meetup. 
uh, how do you start an open source business, right? Or how, I mean, starting something open source is simple, right? You create an open source repository and then you have an open source yeah. repository. But how do you do something open source uh, and also earn money or or get your your coffee every day, right? So um, maybe you can speak a bit about the mentality there at Prefect and uh, uh, what is open source and what is paid and how that plays well together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um You know, so there are there are a number of kind of face value benefits to having an open core product. Um, you know, we we really value our community. Uh, you're never annoying us when you create a GitHub issue in our repo. Like the the trust that we have in that community is just it's irreplaceable to the success of our business. And so we need that to be fully open to maintain that connection with the community and our user base. Uh, so having it open, like allows us to gather that feedback and we accept contributions. Obviously other people can create issues and then close them and create PRs. Um, you know, it's, it's also, it's important for like trust. I think we are a user focused company. We are a developer focused company. And the fact is like on our self-hosted offering, uh, our open source offering, like you can pull back the hood and you can figure out how everything works if you want. Mm. Um, it was always, I think, important to, and I, I wasn't here when this when this project began, but it was always important for those getting that kind of winning the hearts and minds of like a core group of developers to have an open source channel. Uh, but we also need to be a business. And so we wanted to ensure that we had the right place, uh, the right point of kind of like price discrimination or feature discrimination. So what you want to do, right, is you want to ensure that the the paid offering is like just good enough to pay for. That way, everyone that really doesn't want to pay for it sticks on the open source and everyone that does want to pay for it, it feels like a low price to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we've kind of landed on, and to be clear, this isn't, there's no hard and fast rule here. Like we constantly have ideas of like, should this go on the open source or should this be in the paid offering? But the guiding philosophy is kind of anything for a, a single person or a small mm -hmm. team should be free. And then anything that like really is business critical and it provides true value to your business, like, can we have some of that value? We would like some of that value. And everyone basically like users, our investors, the market, et cetera, like everyone basically agrees that that's a cool way to do that. And so we're constantly walking that line. Like we owe a debt of gratitude to our open source users. And also we need to grow. Um, you know, one example of something that would be an obvious decision though, is something like, uh, like custom RBAC. Like custom roles. I want to make sure that this this runner, this particular person or service account that has access, you know, can only do these particular very granular scopes. Um, you know, a that's all governed on our servers. Like we don't have an open source way for you to govern authentication at all. Uh, and b, if you are doing that, it means that you are a company uh, that is getting significant value from this product. And as mm -hmm. such, um, uh, you know, we we believe that we have a a place on your budget. Yeah, sounds fair. And it's also, I mean, uh, ideally, we all would want to create products that are for free so everybody can leverage them and get the best products, right? But at the same time, uh, getting um, some of the value back uh, allows you to reinvest, right? So that makes the product even better. So uh, yeah, at some point, we all also need to earn the, the money and the bread. And I mean, in PyBytes alone, we had a similar situation, right? Uh, Bob and Julian founded it many years ago and uh it was a platform you could log in you could uh get do the pybytes and so on but uh then the P pdm program was founded where you can build applications together with a coach one-on-one -on -one. and of course something like this is hard to do uh without getting remunerated for it 
but that also allows us to do more of these, these podcasts, for example, or to create some programs or focus on content that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. So, um, yeah, that's, I guess, just that's interesting. Do you have any tips yeah. for um, like people that want to create something uh, like an app, a startup or so, how to start an open source community and how to uh, grow this business model out of it? Or do you have to have a business model in the beginning uh, because otherwise it may be not work and how to set this up or um, or at least do you have some lessons learned in that regard, let's say? Yeah, I wouldn't be too, too, too dogmatic about it. Like business strategy and startup strategy is so mm -hmm. subjective. It's why I, I don't really read a lot of thought leadership on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think if you're a developer, which is going to be the, the vast majority of the, the listenership of this, uh, you know, I'd, I'd just create the open source repo and worry about the business later. Um, mm -hmm. Put your product hat on, right? Like who wants to use this and why? Uh, like right now, the developer tooling ecosystem is so good. Like I can think of so many cool things to do. And maybe that's all you want to do. If you want to create a cool library, like don't even listen to me, just create that cool library. But if you do eventually want to turn that into a business, I would focus really, really hard on users who they are, how big that population is, and make it not theoretical. Uh, open source the library, talk to people, right? Like we connected on like LinkedIn or Slack DMs, and now we're doing this. This is an extremely yeah. generous community in terms of time. If you have, if, if you can see someone on LinkedIn that you think might enjoy your library, chances are, unless they're like super, super strapped, if you say, hey, I built this for people just like you, I'm not asking you for money, but I'm wondering what you think of it. Are you down to do a 30 minute coffee and I'll walk you through it? you're going to get a lot of good responses there. Uh, I get those messages a lot. I respond to those messages a lot. Um, so I hate being a guy that's like, just start, right? Because like just starting is hard. We all have jobs. It's hard to find time, hard to find money. You might not even be technically mature enough to start that company. Um, but I would say like the, the second and third steps will become fundamentally clearer after you take the first one. And so I think taking that first step uh, is great. And just, again, luckily, the developer tooling environment is so rich right now. You know, GitHub, mm -hmm. free private repositories. We've got stuff like Prefit. Like, also, I was talking about open source versus paid before. There's a whole cloud product that we have, a whole tier of the cloud product that is free and extremely generous. Like, you can mm -hmm. start a startup with Prefect as your orchestration backend. You can, you can use DBT for free. You can use... Um, You know, I think like these deployment solutions like NetLify and Vercel all have mm -hmm. very, very cheap um, free tiers. And like, if you have to eventually upgrade to that, uh, upgrade to the paid tier on any of these, that is essentially a good problem to have because all mm -hmm. of these should be well calibrated that like once you are doing successfully and you are making money, then your vendors mm -hmm. make money. Uh, and so I do think it's, it's easier than ever to start. It's going to get even easier uh, and you should just do that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's also so um, motivating and inspiring. Also gives some hope for humanity, right? We have huge challenges that we need to overcome, but the tooling gets always easier. So it's always easier to, to start something. Um, and as you said, if the products are designed well, the prices are designed well, so that you only need to pay when you're already getting value from your customers, then uh, I think everything can grow uh, sustainably. Um, and I think wow. for you as a head of product, uh, Is there sometimes the situation where you're like, oh, personally, I want this feature, but then the whole community says no. And then <laughs> it's like a tough decision, or maybe it's not a tough decision. It's very easy democratically, but uh, yeah. How, how do you feel in those moments? Maybe do you have some strategies uh, how to bring in both, uh, let's say, rational arguments and, and um, an argumentation and emotions, right? Because I can feel that, I can imagine that instinct or so also sometimes 
um as a valid uh yeah valid source of uh, information yeah yeah it absolutely is and i love this question and like i'll speak only for myself and my product approach but like some or all of this does apply to the prefect leadership technical leadership as a whole like we are a data informed business we are not a data driven business we believe that product decisions are extremely strategic and closer to art than science that said there is like a type of science that we do which is really the science that it's more like the science that like a like a macroeconomist does than like a like a biologist like a biologist has two petri dishes they can tell which one where the like the spores took hold in or whatever but like a macroeconomist uses empiricism and quantitative methods more in the form of like uh evaluating empirically assumptions so i'll mm -hmm. start with a, a hunch that is you know people don't convert from open source to cloud we should focus on cloud tier one to cloud tier two conversions I, that I, to be clear that's not a real hypothesis but it's like mm -hmm. i actually any intervention there it will be very hard to like a b test like a biologist would but what mm -hmm. we can do is we can look for data that supports the underlying assumption which mm -hmm. is you know how many people uh, like in our onboarding survey said that they came from open source or something like that so mm -hmm. it's not going to be this like a b test this like statistical methods that you maybe learn in 101 uh but we try to ensure that our risks and our assumptions are reasonable in a mostly democratic way and in terms of like you know the 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 community like i have to weigh the needs of the community in a balanced way because fundamentally right like the users that i'm building for hopefully we're 10xing every year so i don't actually have mm. those users i'm not talking to them yet right i'm actually yeah. more interested in someone that's not using prefect than i am the people that are using prefect sometimes mm -hmm. uh, and so it's it's a balance and again like it's really hard to know what the balance is so i'm i'm averse to being like dogmatic about uh, yes mm -hmm. always listen to this community members thing there uh you know and only listen to investor advice here it's a balance it's an art and luckily i have very thoughtful and dedicated partners in the technical leadership of of prefect that kind of understand that this is an art and that we have to kind of get there together yeah nice okay uh maybe one or two last questions before we are yeah, sure. the, the time uh the constraint let's say um on the one side uh in pybytes and the pdm program we always build apps right and of course these days also quite a bit with generative ai And uh, the Prefect engineers actually have come up with uh, Marvin AI, so a framework which allows to easily create some AI functions and so on. Um, and yeah, maybe uh, from your perspective, uh, what's your vision? Uh, is there a vision you can share <laughs> uh, yeah. concerning Marvin AI and Prefect? Like, is there something, how do these two go along with each other? Or is it just a nice side project because you also wanted to play around with generative AI a bit? <laughs> Yeah, all of the above. Um, let me start with a few, a few maybe disclosures. So, for one, I don't work directly on Marvin, um, but I'm I'm close enough to the product. Um, the the product lead for that, my my colleague Adam Azam, uh, has got a, a specific vision. But I also my second disclosure is around that. Like, we are early enough in this generative AI and LLM boom that we are hesitant to make strong uh, strong statements on opinion. What we want to do mm -hmm. is we want to like position ourselves in a way that this is very much a Jeremiah, my, my CEO, 
piece of vocabulary, but like we want right way risk, which is like no matter which way this thing goes, we will be positioned to aid those that are that are generating value from from the boom. And, you know, the philosophy around Marvin is not that different from the philosophy around a lot of other software um, or, or, or at least the philosophy around Prefect. The things that make AI valuable in software are a lot of the same things that make anything valuable in software, which can be kind of boring. So for example, like you mentioned AI functions, we also have these AI models, like type safety is really, really important for using any output of a function or a method in software. But the response from an API is just JSON. The response from OpenAI API or any self-hosted LLM is just this JSON blob. So how do you ensure that you can convert that JSON blob into something you can use in downstream software situations? Well, right now, the answer is you use something like Marvin. And there are a number of different, you know, again, quote unquote, boring aspects to this stuff. Um, uh, data classes and, and type safety are, are one of them. Um, you know, the, the longer term vision is, is one in which, you know, it's not just AI bots that are enabled by by Marvin, but it's it's AI workflows. Uh, most AI use cases are not just going to be chatbots, as as fun as chatbots are to get, you know, some speech written in the style of Darth Vader or whatever. Like that's not going to be a, <laughs> a market changing technology. Um, and so that's where Prefect and Marvin really start to marry. Uh, we actually just released our first kind of Marvin powered. Uh, or AI-powered feature within Prefect, which is AI-generated log summaries. And so this gives us, for, for failed or crash runs, we'll kind of generate a, a recommendation on what we think you might do or an explanation. Um, so like, we, that gives us a, a first-person view into like really how you use LLMs and software. This whole mm -hmm. thing is that like LLMs are cool, software is cool, but LLM-powered software is still something that companies are really figuring out Mm -hmm. in isolation. And we see a lot of cool AI features, right? Like Notion has AI features and like, you know, I'm sure my bank has AI features and mm -hmm. all of those things are, are home rolled. And there's a challenge to taking the, the rich and interesting but unstructured output of these LLMs and turning them into things that can be useful in a scalable way, right? A million API calls over, a billion API calls over. And so imposing structure and imposing predictability, that's always been prefix thing. And now we're bringing that to the LLM space with Marvin. Nice. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. And also, uh, if you haven't uh, tried it yet, uh, I highly recommend it. It's also a nice way, I think, to start with Python. So it's something that we even now do in the beginning of the PDM programs, for example, also in the initial program, because you also see just nice uh, Python, Pythonic development, I would say. The, you get in touch with the decorators, Pydentic models, and so on. So uh, quite some new concepts, let's say, for a lot of um, beginning uh, developers. And uh, you can combine it with some fun uh, LLM uh, playing, right? It's always it's always interesting when the answers are not exactly right and a little bit off and funny. So, um, so yeah. what, what's funny about that, just in terms of getting started, is so I... I run a program at Prefect, which is kind of intro to technology for non-technical employees, because I believe that everyone, right, like our recruiter, our HR people, our finance people, they should be able to explain at a coffee table, you know, what 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 our software does. And the capstone project is often like write a Prefect flow. Mm -hmm. And I've always said, like, you know, I'll write the Python so that you can just focus on getting into production with Prefect. But nowadays, I actually have Marvin write the Python. <laughs> right nice. so all i just have them create mm. function signatures and then they're like wait that's it and i'm like yeah that's it we just got the capital of the city that you put in now we can get yeah, that in yeah. production and, and run it on a schedule 
Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's, uh, I think that's really exciting because uh, it brings also software development more and more close to everyone to leverage because uh, maybe a couple of years ago, it was still harder to learn. But now with generative AI, with the descriptions that are sometimes awfully misleading, but oftentimes also good enough to to help a little bit, uh, especially when you add a coach, it should be really possible for everyone to learn um, enough Python to to get started in six weeks. That's also what uh, we are now doing with a, a program besides a typical J job, like just a couple of hours a, uh, a day or, or even just a week. Um, and you can already get started. And I'm really excited to see where this all is going because uh, I think Python is a great language to have this interface to allow everyone to leverage a little bit of uh, software development and AI in the in the day-to-day -day job. And yeah, it's uh, accelerating. It's sometimes a little bit worrisome. That's also uh, coming to the to the end of the podcast, to the book that I, I read about exist existential crisis, actually, or existential risk for humanity. That's uh, The Precipice. Uh, and I had it on my reading list for a long time. And um, now I finalized it. And it really gives a nice overview, I uh, believe, in... What are the different risks that humanity can like is facing or can face potentially? Um, luckily, the most important risks are man-made, so it's on our own hands, let's say. And uh, I think with AI is also something like this. We need to develop it uh, safely. Like uh, if we if we make there a big mistake, then it's potentially catastrophic. But at the same time, it uh, opens up a lot of opportunities to accelerate um, the problem solutions that we that we have that are other existential threats right like climate change and so on so um yeah it's always uh, again it's like a wave right you're trying to take the wave you're trying not to take the waves that are too big maybe then you rather avoid this this ocean um yeah and yeah to have a good uh good surf let's say and bring this home yeah yeah absolutely our uh cto chris white would love that he's a big surfer he's out in the bay area <laughs> <laughs> nice Good, good. Um, yeah, what are what are some books you're reading lately, or uh, any any progresses on that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I don't read a lot of books professionally. Uh, mm -hmm. I work really hard all day thinking about this stuff, and so when I have reading time, I mean, my choice is either read during the workday, which is generally not feasible, or continue thinking about stuff I'm working on after by reading those books. So it's relatively rare that I read professional books. Um, I do read mm -hmm. a lot of nonfiction uh, outside of it. I will say I, I've read two things professionally that I think were useful, one of which actually is a book. Um, so for one, I revisited a uh, a series on the orchestrator, and there's a, there's a particular... Um, article called 28 Dags Later by a guy named Stephen mm -hmm. Bailey. Uh, it's just a fantastic articulation of the issues that orchestration might solve in the future. So I'd recommend that. And I also picked up and have been referencing uh, Joe Reese's Fundamentals of Data Engineering. It's an O'Reilly text um, mm -hmm. book. And that is very, very good. It's very straightforward. It's very accessible. If you have even a little bit of technical background, it is it's very plain text. It doesn't dig deep into mathematical underpinnings or too far back in the history of computer science. Um, so I, I really like both of those. Uh, yeah, that's what I've been reading these days. And then, of course, I scroll Twitter and that's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's if you're if you're listening to the podcast and scrolling to twitter maybe just stop it and uh, get back coding like there's a lot of uh, exciting <laughs> things you can build and uh yeah that's uh always a good reminder nice yeah, yeah well it was really really nice having you on the podcast do you have any last things to share or um any further things to to uh ideate yeah maybe yeah no thanks <laughs> thanks no no th thanks so much for having me yeah it was great to chat again um 
I don't. Uh, as I said, you know, I like Prefect, but I like an orchestrator more. Uh, as you dig into orchestrators, reach out to me. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. And if you do want to try Prefect, uh, we have a very generous free tier. Uh, and we have a free tier that I have licensed to make even more generous. So if you're hitting a wall and you want to try something uh, that you don't have access to, that's my favorite type of request to grant. Uh, I will I will let you convince yourself that it is worth buying. So please reach out to me, join our Slack community, uh, you know, any way that you can reach out to me, please do. I love to hear thoughts uh, on prefect orchestration, data engineering, and uh, the future of computing. Awesome. Sounds good. Then uh, see you next time and have a good evening. <laughs> Great. See ya. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To hear more from us, go to pybyte slash friends. That is pybit.es slash friends and receive a free gift just for being a friend of the show and to join our thriving slack community of python programmers go to pybytes slash community that's pybit.es forward slash community we hope to see you there and catch you in the next episode